Hey everyone, Brad here. In addition to the short trailer, we wanted to give you a quick taste of what you can expect from season one of Post Everything. What follows is the first 20-ish minutes of our first episode, where my co-host, John Homus, and I walk through the three universal symptoms or what it's like to live in a liminal age. In parts two and three, we work out the primary liminal catalysts that are driving those symptoms and then how to actually thrive in a post-everything world because, yes, it actually is possible to thrive and not just survive. Plus, by the time you're listening to this, we'll have released the first of many insightful conversations with brilliant thinkers and leaders like Tara Isabella Burton, Mark Sayers, Trevin Wax, and Chris Martin, just to name a few. So if you like what you hear and want more, subscribe to Post Everything by clicking on the link that we've included at the top of the show notes. Without further ado, here is a preview of the inaugural episode of Post Everything. Hope you enjoy. When our Post Everything world has turned life upside down, how do you even know which end is up? If you're committed to a community or a cause greater than yourself, you don't have the luxury of checking out or the freedom to burn out. It's not enough to just keep surviving. We need to thrive again. This is Post Everything. A podcast about remapping culture and rethinking leadership in a liminal age. Welcome to Post Everything. This is a new podcast about, well, everything and also not really. We are going to be engaging in a wide variety of topics, basically anything that you might intersect with in terms of living ordinary and everyday life, leading in whatever organization or institution that you are entrusted with that responsibility for, understanding the way that the social fabric is shifting and changing underneath us, and otherwise trying to just make sense of the world around us. And so I'm joined here with my good friend of over 15 years now, John Homus, and I'm Brad Edwards. We are both church planters in very, very very different places, and I'm not just talking about the humidity. And we are hoping that in our roles as co-hosts, we are able to not offer expertise so much as report back what we are trying to wrestle with ourselves and our capacities and roles as leaders and church planters and kind of wrestle with this very live with you. And so we hope that this is conversational and actually tangibly helpful, because if it's not, it's really not worth doing on our end. Absolutely. And... um and yeah, so thanks for signing up. And one aspect we really need to start off with here is this language that we have in our subtitle, which is remapping culture and rebuilding leadership in a liminal age, right? Yes. And John, <laughs> when we were talking about this, when I first used the word liminal, you asked me like, okay, you're going to have to define that for me because this is not part of our normal language. And so what does it mean to live in a liminal age? But before you answer that question, know that this is going to be part one of three in answering that question in a very, very big picture sense. And so today we're going to really jump in directly into what you are probably experiencing, like what you are feeling in this liminal age, because you may not have even realized that that's actually what it is that you're in the midst of. But I can almost guarantee that I would probably put money on the fact that there are three things we're going to talk about today you can identify with, you can resonate with. And so let's just talk about definitions though, John. What do we mean when we use this word liminal? What are we talking about when we're talking about a liminal age? Yes. Well, Brad, I'm so glad to be on this podcast with you. And I do have to confess that when you use the word liminal, I did say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I probably should know what it means, but I don't. So define it for me. And you did. And um, when we talk about liminal, what we mean is that we are in a trying time of transition. 
what was before is no longer and what is coming isn't exactly clear. So it's liminal is a transitional phase where we are post something and we're heading into something that's next and we're trying to figure out what that thing is. So we can say very confidently in the year of our Lord, 2022, we are post everything. And here's what we mean by that word post everything and how that connects with liminal. Maybe you're familiar with the term postmodern and you know that that term has been around for a while. And we use that term a lot, even up to five years ago. I haven't heard it as much recently, but we are talking about being post a lot of other things. So think about 20 years ago, we started a post 9-11 world. 2015, we became a post Michael Brown's death world. George Floyd happened a few short years after that, post George Floyd. Now in 2022, we are post pandemic. And even as we talk about the influence of Judeo-Christian values in our culture, a lot of people are using the term post-Christian. Now, all these posts mean that we are no longer where we were, but we are heading somewhere else, and we're not exactly sure what that looks like. So we're in this liminal space. Yeah, and I think what's really important and helpful about that, John, is to distinguish that from kind of you know, kind of ordinary change or an ordinary in-between or transition is there's something like this is happening on a far more fundamental level when it comes to the shared values and assumptions that we have on society that because we don't have to work those out all the time, we can rely upon that as a foundation and build from there. So it's time-saving, it's very efficient, but it's also, it cultivates unity and connection. But when the assumptions and the values are being questioned and are changing so fundamentally and so across the board. Like I love that you mentioned things that had to do with science and technology in terms of our response to the pandemic, you know, religious and, and spiritual values, race relations, terrorism. Like there's nothing that this liminal age is not affecting and even infecting in terms of its questioning of assumptions and values. So God, I just think that's so huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you think about eras where a decade could be considered an era in, you know, maybe American or Western history. And it just feels like every two or three years, the world is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so things are, are just changing. And we're asking the question, well, what lasts? Mm. Um, if everything's changing, what's going to be consistent, not just 10 years from now, but even three years from now? And that's why one of the key phrases we're looking at here is remapping culture. How do we understand the ground that we're standing on as it's constantly shifting? Our maps don't seem to work anymore when we think about culture, mm -hmm. when we think about humanity. One of my friends uses this great Wayne Gretzky quote where Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey player, said he was so great not because he skated to where the puck was, but because he skated to where the puck was going to be. And I think in one sense, mm. in this podcast, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out culture's heading somewhere, society's heading somewhere. Where is it heading as everything keeps changing? Let's try and skate and get to that place now. Yeah, and it's very difficult to understand, like, how do we get there and where do we go if we don't understand where we are now? So this is why... We're really kind of spending three full episodes focusing on life in a liminal age because it helps situate 
that work and that effort of going where the puck is going to be, right? And so where we are now, I think the best illustration I've come across, I'm actually indebted to Mike Cosper on this one. He used this illustration toward the beginning of his really great book on Esther and the story of Esther in the Old Testament. And that illustration is this idea of the airport as a liminal space, right? We're talking about a liminal age, but think about it in more concrete terms as an airport, right? An airport is an in-between space. You are in that space because you are leaving something where you have been, but you're not yet at going somewhere else. Yeah, you're going somewhere else, but hopefully you know where you're going, right? You know, you could be flying on standby, I guess, uh, but and you've got some tickets and you're hoping to get there, but it's an in-between space. It's a liminal space. And what we are going through and experiencing is your flight just got canceled or delayed, Right. And what happens, like when you're in an airport and you're waiting at your gate and that change is introduced, even before it is announced on the intercom, you see that there's a buzz happening around the desk and the the gate agent right there, right? People are realizing something's changed. You can see the crowd shift and move and you hear sighs and people talking and the murmuring goes up in volume because it's spreading throughout. And so you can see it ripple socially through the people in proximity to you that change happened before you're even explicitly aware of it or have language for it, right? So that alone is really a helpful illustration. But think about, too, the design of an airport, right? So at Denver International Airport, you know, I'm in Boulder County, uh, about 40-minute drive and fly out of there anytime. And there's a great restaurant in the terminal that has a Southwest Airlines. And the restaurant's name is Root Down. And it's actually really impressive. The layout for it is so hyper-designed to be hyper-efficient for seating as many people comfortably in a space, but with privacy as you possibly can. It's actually kind of ingenious in the, in the way that they do it. But you're not comfortable, right? The efficiency of the space and the temporary transitory nature of that space and that need affects the comfort level. And just like the rest of the airport, It is not designed for staying there long-term. It is not designed for settling in and making yourself at home or experiencing hospitality. It is extremely uncomfortable. So the space itself is not designed for it, and that enhances the discomfort and the frustration and the stress that you would already be experiencing if you had a delayed or canceled flight. Right. Well, no one is really comfortable in the Denver airport with how many conspiracies you guys have about that airport. So, um, Oh, dude, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that that's is a whole other podcast. It's a whole nother episode. Yeah, we, we should totally go there. It, you know, we'll, <laughs> when we get into disinformation and misinformation, we'll, uh, right. we'll totally broach that topic. But, you know, the experience of being in an airport, too, especially if you have a delayed flight or it's been canceled and you don't know what's coming next. Yeah. You don't know when that ambiguity is going to be resolved There's this weird kind of reality and time distortion effect, right? You can look down at your watch, you know, if you have a watch instead of a phone like they used to have. You can look down at the time and realize, wow, I feel like I've been here for two hours, but it's actually been 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? The waiting and the uncertainty of what's next makes the present so much longer. I tell people, I'd say it as a joke all the time, but it is, and people laugh in that kind of like, I'm laughing instead of crying kind of way um, by saying like, 2020 was the longest decade of my life. (laughs) And there's a reason for that, right? That's actually, that's how it works, right? And so all this to say, when you are in this in transition space, it's uncomfortable. 
And the discomfort is part of what contributes to how you can see the change just ripple through. It's its, its own unique ecosystem. And so we're in a unique ecosystem that most of us have not experienced before and probably no generation has since that decade following World War II. So that is wow. not in the generational memory of anyone except, you know, boomers' parents. So let's talk about that. So like these are great analogies and kind of high-level concept, but what is it, John, can you help us put words to what it feels like to live through that in the equivalent of that liminal space of an airport? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that whole airport analogy, there's just so far we could go with that. I mean, I was thinking about a diverted flight I had when I was actually on the plane. We were probably on the plane 20 minutes, not knowing what was going to happen, but it felt like two days. Oh, man. And um, the lack of control we had, you know, and just not knowing how we get to the place where we know, that's a great illustration. And oh, man, is it so much worse if you have kids? It's so much worse. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not go there. Let's yeah, not yeah. Go there. <laughs> um, well, we talked about this great quote from Alan Noble in his book, uh, You Are Not Your Own. He says that to live in a high-tech, ultra-mobile society of sovereign individuals and perpetually changing norms is to be haunted with disorientation and disequilibrium. Now, there's a lot there, but listen to what he goes on to say. Mm. We feel as if we are untethered, floating in space, free to move, but unable to touch the ground. All bonds feel tentative and uncertain. Our place in the world feels speculative and subject to change. Our anxiety over belonging makes us highly sensitive to the flaws and betrayals and disappointments that attend all human efforts at community. I, I love that phrase, free to move, but unable to touch the ground. Kind of like a diverted flight, huh? Yes. Very, very good. Very good. Free to move about the cabin, but you, you, you can't get out of the cabin. You can't get out of the cabin. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting being post-pandemic, we now have a little bit of clarity on some of the things that the pandemic exposed. And one of the things that it exposed was just our hyper-individualism. Um, another term we use for individualism is just self-belonging. And not everyone has access to that level of individualism. We think that there's actually the more wealth you have, the more privilege you have, the more you're able to be an individual or individualistic. But thinking individually about ourselves, which we did a lot during the pandemic, isn't sustainable long term. Yeah, and the disconnect, even though it's something that we can technically sustain, it has this terrible impact on us because Alan Noble, again, and you are not your own, he describes how we are basically living in an artificial captivity and an environment of our own design that we have made for ourselves. But it's based on an anthropology that actually is not accurate. It does not line up with the way that we have been made and created and designed. And that has massive implications. He uses this amazing analogy of zoocosis, right? And so if you've ever gone to the zoo and you go to the lion pit, and it's one of the bigger enclosures at, at any zoo, and you look at the lions, and if you ever watch in like National Geographic or a nature documentary, you will probably notice that the lions behave very differently in captivity. In the savannah, they're moving or they're resting. They're either hunting or they're sleeping. In captivity, 
you see them pacing. And you see them pacing, not just actually in particular places. And there are ruts and worn paths in their environment, in their enclosure, because they pace in the same places. And that's because you can make the environment look as natural and seem as natural as it is, but it cannot be natural if it is artificial. There is a limit to that, right? The line can still smell the very un-African hot dogs that are cooking, <laughs> you know, like 60 feet away. Yeah. They are not genetically used to hearing the laughter of children in close proximity to them, especially while eating, right? There are so many aspects that you cannot replicate to make natural. And it has this effect on them. And the only way that they have to be able to address those is to address the symptoms. They can't fix it. And so they literally put lions on antidepressants. Wow. And who knew we could identify so strongly with captive lions? Wow. Right. And so we have our own zucosis and living in this liminal age um, that we are not made for. And so we want to kind of talk about these three primary buckets or categories or symptoms of what it feels like to be living in this time and place right now. I want to maybe give a quick disclaimer too. John and I are talking about this from a very particular perspective, and it cannot be universal. It's not global. It is distinctly American evangelical. It's you know one that's defined by our ministry experience and as well as other kind of leadership roles we've had outside of the church. But we're both white, and there is a very real limit to how broadly we can speak. And so if some of these you don't experience or you think there should be something added to this list, you're probably right. In fact, yeah. there are more, way more than three ways that we experience this liminal age right now. These are just, I think, some of the most top of mind and on the surface of our experience that I think most of us can connect with. Okay. So here are the three, right? And we're going to work through these one by one, but the three are uh, loneliness, loneliness as, as both social fracturing and isolation. And number two, a loss of capacity. And there's like three aspects of that one. And then a disorientation. And these flow really well into one another. But John, can you kick us off with this symptom of what, what are we talking about when we're saying that loneliness is a symptom of our zucosis or this liminal age that we are in the midst of? Yeah, it's strange to even think about that because we're so connected and we're always communicating with each other, whether it's emails or direct messages or text messages. Mm. Um, yet the Washington Post put out this article last month where they studied the average amount of time Americans were spending with friends. And 2010 to 2013, people were spending about six and a half hours per week with friends. Now, you know, maybe that's four or five or six outings with friends. But what they noticed in this study is that that six and a half hours began to decline in by 2014. And by 2019, that six and a half hours per week with friends went down to four hours per week. Whoa. Now, six and a half to four, maybe doesn't seem like much, but that's a 37% decline from five years before. Now, why is that? Well, maybe the connection that we have, such as social media, is actually keeping us from physical time in each other's proximity. Maybe we're not actually hanging out in real life because we're talking all the time on social media. Hmm. Maybe it's political polarization. 
We just don't want to be around people that don't think like us. The article says that all those things play into this loneliness that we're experiencing. Maybe it's in feeling, but it's definitely in the fact that we're just spending more time by ourselves. And that has to do with adults and teenagers. Now, that sounds bad, but that doesn't sound catastrophic. What's the really bad news here? Well, you think about just teenagers hanging out. Kids all the time want to be with their friends. I almost have a teenager and they want to be with their friends more and more and more. But you look at this and you think about the development of a human being. In 2010 to 2013, the average American teenager spent 11 hours fewer with friends each week in 2021. So in other words, from 2010 to 2021, there's 11 fewer hours per week with friends that the average American teenager spent. And how much of a teenager's development is based on them being around their peers? We don't quite know what the development is going to look like for kids, but that's something we got to be thinking about. Wow. Yeah. I remember from that article, there's, it is both a decrease in time spent with friends, but also the choosing to be alone had 12 additional hours per week, which is an Mm. almost 50% increase. And that did not recover as the pandemic lockdowns ended, like that actually Mm. continued to worsen and we have not recovered. That is, that is startling. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It just makes me think about just to kind of build into that airport illustration a little bit, right? Because there's this isolation that kind of choosing to be alone, but that doesn't paint the full picture of the why, right? But it makes sense when we remember that we're living in this liminal space. It's like an airport. And have you ever had an argument with your spouse, with your wife in an airport, John? I'm sure I have, and I'm sure it had something to do with shuffling the kids through the airport. So I'm guessing yes. Yeah, I didn't. You must be like not as good of a husband, but I, I definitely have it myself. <laughs> no, of course, there's no way that that doesn't happen because the frustration and tension in an airport is exponentially more likely because you're in a liminal space. The liminal space, the constant change requires an attention and a focus. Even if you're not ADD like I am, it's going to incentivize frustration and tension far more than it will kindness or intimacy. Yeah, you want to get to the next place. And when you want to get to the next place, you want to get out of there where you are. And so, (laughs) and kindness gets in the way of that. Right, it does. And if anybody's wincing at that, like, I'm just saying what you're thinking. Yeah, well, it's interesting. A book that I read at the beginning of the year, Barna put out this book called The Loneliness Epidemic by Susan Metz. She did a ton of research, but she interviewed a therapist named Sharon Hargrave, and she just said that a lot of times, even in our society, we are unkind in the sense that we use the word toxic too broadly. Now, what she was getting at is in this moment that we're in, we're quicker to cut people off who don't line up with our expectations or our needs. And so Mm -hmm. it was interesting to think about, you know, the airport illustration. Not only are we less kind to our traveling partners when we're stressed, but in this place where we're traveling together to figure out where we're going as a culture, we're less kind to each other. You know what that helps actually kind of illustrate too, and it bears pointing out that the pandemic worsened and accelerated something that was already happening. Because I can remember back as early as like, I don't know, 2012, 2014, you know, when I first started seeing friends 
share statements or this kind of attitude and posture of like, if somebody's going to be a constant presence of negativity in your life, you need to cut them out of your life. They don't get the right to speak into your life. And it's just like, man, if you actually follow that to its ultimate conclusion, you're gonna be one lonely person. Absolutely. Because we started seeing that as like an existential threat to our dignity, value and worth instead of the way it is hopefully and not always intended, which is faithful wound of a friend to encourage you in your own growth. And so there are so many things that and attitudes and kind of cultural trajectories that the pandemic just like lit a match to. And we're experiencing that at a significantly more coalesced time and concentration in ways that feel very surprising. So yeah, that makes a ton of sense. All right. Well, with that, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that really quick preview. If you'd like to get more content helping you remap culture and rethink leadership in a liminal age, just click on one of the links at the top of the show notes to subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Until then, take care, keep building and stay thriving in our post-everything world.